and start a spiritual conversation. And the question goes something like this, have you found Jesus? Remember that? The answer came back in a smart aleck type of way. I didn't know he was lost. Of course, it's not Jesus who is lost, but us, the people he came to save. Eventually, when they do find him in Capernaum, they ask him, Rabbi, when did you get here? I think what they meant to ask was, Rabbi, how did you get here? Jesus walking on water wasn't part of the way they they could picture because they had all the shores of Capernaum covered and how he got there is, is, is amazing in itself. Jesus walking on water, that is amazing. But the other surprising miracle often overlooked from, from last week is that soon after Jesus got into the boat, they suddenly arrived at their destination. They had been struggling all night, rowing and rowing and rowing for hours and hours on end. And as soon as Jesus gets in the boat, they get to where they were supposed to go. That is another miracle. And we all have to, as human beings, we all have to submit to the natural laws that God has set to govern this world. But God himself does not need to restrict himself to those laws. He is above and beyond. He created all of this. Our normal physical modes of transportation is one of these. As humans, we are trapped in the physical, in the physical realm. But Jesus came to open our eyes to a higher reality, to the supernatural, to the spiritual realm. And this is where he leads us into the lesson of bread, the bread being the physical, but he's going to lead us to the spiritual lesson with regards to bread. And so we come to verses 26 to 27, the temporal versus the eternal, verses 26 to 27. Jesus answered, Very truly I tell you, you are looking for me not because you saw the signs, not because you saw the signs I performed, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. Do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life which the Son of Man will give you, for on him God the Father has placed his seal of approval. So Jesus, rather than answering how or when he got there, Jesus kind of stops them right there and gets to the issues of the motives of the heart. He goes through all the superficial conversations and he goes straight to the heart of the matter. He's rebuking their motivation for following him. They ate the loaves, had their fill, and now they're wanting more. There was an old Roman formula that lasted for centuries. This formula was essential in trying to keep 
the mobs, the population happy. And the expression was panem et circenses in Latin, panem et circenses, which translated means bread and circuses. One, bread, addresses the most basic human need, which is food. The other, the need for distraction in the form of entertainment, circuses. So they built colosseums and hippodromes so the masses could go watch the gladiators kill each other. They could go and watch the chariot races. They could watch Christians getting mauled and eaten by lions or getting burnt at the stake. That was all part of the entertainment. And as long as the emperors supplied this, they would not have to worry too much about where the nation as a whole was going. They could get away with, literally, with murder. As a matter of interest, both of these aspects, bread and circuses, is actually cleverly portrayed in the title of a popular book by Susan Collins called The Hunger Games. I have a picture there. Brings both of those aspects together. You create a game out of the fact that people need food to survive. Now think about, think about our political situation and the election cycle that we find constantly find ourselves in and we cannot, we cannot seem to get out of it. Candidates are being evaluated by the voters not on their integrity or their character or what they propose to do about improving the values and the moral conditions of this country. They are questioned questioned by the media on, on what they will do about the economy, what they will do about wages, interest rates, how will they improve living conditions, in comma, bread. And where does a circus come in? Well, the whole media is a circus, to tell you the truth, but apart from that, and then the politicians will make sure that their faces are pictured in the big sporting events that are coming, the Melbourne Cup, the footy finals. They'll have their pictures taken there. And this is exactly what the Roman emperors used to do. They would, they would show up at, 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 as a sign of camaraderie with the common person. They will make sure that their pictures were there, were there, that their face was there as a benevolence. They will put on these entertainment for the people. Bread and circuses. And here Jesus goes to address the issue of work. Firstly, if these people who were miraculously fed by Jesus thought they could now get a free lunch every day, get a happy meal, they were mistaken. I suppose many today would might be tempted to take these words literally from Jesus and go on welfare. can't do that in Africa, but you can do it in Australia. 
just to be clear, Jesus is not saying, do not work for a living. Because ever since the Garden of Eden, by the sweat of our brows, we will earn our living, we will eat. Jesus is addressing something else. Which leads to a second point, that working for the wrong thing. First though, we have to work, but the problem is working for the wrong thing. What he, what he meant was, when he said, do not work merely to get food. Food is important, it is essential, it is necessary for life, and you have to earn it. But do not let, don't let that be the, the sole reason for your working. So Jesus asked, what are you working for? Are you working merely to make a living, to have a nice home, to be comfortable in your retirement, to be ready for the weekend? That seems to be true of all humanity. But one of the things that makes us humans different from the animals is that even after we've had our feed, our bellies full and we've had our siesta or a comfortable place to rest, we're still not satisfied. We want more. We want more. The plethora of cooking shows and our obsession with cooking and food we've just tells you that we've certainly progressed from bread and sardines, loaves, barley loaves and fishes. We constantly have to try this, we have to try that. But it doesn't matter what you try. At the end of it all, you still come unsatisfied. Greek mythology. In Greek mythology, King Tantalus was punished in the underworld by being chained in a lake. Its waters reached to his chin but receded whenever he bent down to satisfy his thirst. Over his head were branches laden with choice fruit but they immediately withdrew whenever he reached upward to satisfy his hunger. This is a symbol of utter frustration. And his, his name is immortalised in the English word tantalise, to tantalise. It comes from King Tantalus. So, too, seeking to know God or to satisfy the human soul apart from Christ is going to prove utterly futile. And this is where the words of the prophet Isaiah come in. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread? And why do you labour for that which does not satisfy? So Jesus had to correct that view of life as he still corrects us in our 20th century 21st century lifestyle. He directs the crowd and us to 
channel our energy to higher purposes. So don't just think about your physical needs. Work for food that endures to eternal life. Don't just think about this life. Think about the next as well. Verses 28 to 29, we talk about faith versus works. Faith versus works. Verse 28, then they asked him, what must we do to do the work God requires? And Jesus answered, the work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. You can always hear them saying, that sounds way too simple and too easy. And in some ways, that's the point, isn't it? Salvation is either all of grace or it is nothing at all. And here Jesus exposes the problem with all world religions. Religion, remember, is about working to earn God's favour by asking what must we do? What are the entry requirements to heaven? Every religion has their list and some religions the list is longer than others. Jesus points to something else. While they are asking what must we do, Jesus points to the work that God has done. What work is that? He sent the Son. What we have to do is believe. Believe in the one he has sent. One is about, one is about earning. The other is about accepting. One is about what to do. The other is accepting what he has done. To believe in him means to learn to look at your situation through his eyes. To see life to see reality as Jesus saw it. That means you must listen to what he has to say because Jesus peeled away the layers, peeled away all of those things that we try to cover up and he gets always to the heart of the matter. You must pay attention to his words and understand life from his point of view. Believe in me, is what he told us. And believe in me means believe that I know what I'm talking about. It means to learn to use the resources that he has given us in the power of the Holy Spirit, what the Bible calls spiritual weapons. They are available to his believers. And once you learn to use these weapons that God has given us, you'll truly start to live the Christian life that you were meant to live. The spiritual weapons. Faith versus works. And now we get servant versus master, verses 32, 33. So they asked him, what sign then will you give that we may see it and believe you? What will you do? Our ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness, as it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. 
And Jesus said to them, very truly I tell you, it is not Moses who has given you the bread from heaven, but it is my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is the bread that comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Hard to believe, but it appears that these people were not satisfied with the sign of the loaves and the fishes. To them, if Jesus was going to use that as a credential to be recognised as Messiah, according to them, it was not enough. Because for them, perhaps their thinking is there is nothing unusual about bread and fish, although multiplying it was certainly out of the ordinary, but we're still talking about bread and fish. And they say, but Moses fed our fathers not just once, but for 40 years he fed us on the manna from heaven. Bread and fish come from the earth, but the manna comes from heaven. So Jesus, how are you going to top that? That is their attitude. Interesting that they attribute the miracle of the manna not to God, but to God's servant, Moses. I say interesting because Moses himself would not approve of their assessments because Moses himself had to learn this the hard way. You remember the episode when the people were thirsty? They started complaining and he got a little bit upset. He had enough. Grab a rod and struck it and then he said, struck the rock and together with Aaron He said this, he said, shall we bring water for you out of this rock? Shall we bring water out of this rock for you? As they say in the game shows, hear the buzzer. Subsequently, Moses was red carded from entering the promised land. He was attributing the work of God to himself. Shall we bring? Leaders, leaders, like myself, are only too willing to receive the accolades that come our way. Lap it up. Give it, please. Yes, yes, you're wrong. Brilliant, absolutely brilliant. Just lap it up, lap it up. Give me more, your benevolent leader. But guess what? God the Master will not share his glory with anyone. Doesn't matter how good, how gifted they are. It's not going to happen. Jesus said, You are wrong. 
Moses did not give you that bread. It was, in fact, my father. Furthermore, what came in the wilderness was not the true bread from heaven. It was only a symbol. It was only a very small representation of a shadow of something else that was to come years later. You want to see the real bread from heaven? It's me. It's me. I came down from heaven, sent of the Father to feed the restless hunger of of the human heart so that you, all of you, can find fulfilment and satisfaction in your lives. And you see that connection between the Gospel of John and the book of Exodus that I've mentioned before, the interplay between one and the other. We go back to the book of Exodus when God gives manna to the people. Every morning they would wake up and find the manna outside their tents. This is free. They didn't have to work for it. They didn't have to cook it. They just picked it up every morning. Think about this. In Exodus chapter 14, God's Parts the sea, they walk through it on dry land. God defeats the enemies. Chapter 15, very appropriately, they sing a song of deliverance, of grace, of gratitude to God, thanksgiving. 14, 15. And then in Exodus 16, what happens? They say, God brought us here to die. They were just singing hallelujah, thanksgiving, praise be to God. And then in 16, you brought us here to die. Hallelujah, praise the Lord, you brought us here to die. That's the second verse, is it? Someone wrote, it, almost, it, it always seems like the last time God came through for you was 10 years ago, even if it was just 10 minutes ago. Why is that? Because we're such forgetful people. We forget the things that God did 10 minutes ago feels like 10 years ago and the the disappointment that we had 10 years ago feels like it only happened like 10 minutes ago because the bad things we keep remembering, the good things we forget really quickly. That's what we like. We forget so soon God's grace and mercy, his provision, his providence to us each and every day. And just like the Israelites in Jesus' day, just like the Israelites back in the Exodus, today people continually demand more signs. I'm not just talking about unbelievers. And you've had these discussions with unbelievers. I won't believe in it unless you show me. That's demanding a sign, isn't it? But I'm talking about believers as well. 
okay, I believe Jesus is the king and he reigns and rules over my life. Jesus has all authority in heaven and on earth. But if he could just fix these little things in my life, if he could just bless me in these particular ways, then I'll really, really believe in him and I'll really trust him for the rest of my life and then I'll know for sure that he's a good God, that he's generous and loving. And then as a loving pastor, I will gently remind you, but I thought he came through for you just last week. And they might say, yes, but that was last week. This is now. Right? Am I going to have this conversation with you? We forget so soon. God hasn't changed. Jesus the bread, verses 34 to 35. Sir, they said, Always give us this bread. It's actually a good prayer, isn't it? Always give us this bread. And then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. Here again we see the literary brilliance of John. He takes us back to a very similar conversation with a woman at the well when she said in verse 15, chapter 4, Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty. Here it is very similar. Always give us this bread. Both water and bread represent food that is elements that are essential for sustaining human life. Both cannot be taken just once, but they have to be taken continually. Continually. And some of us need to take a little bit less, perhaps. Stop making those trips to the pantry. But I wonder if you think about this spiritual lesson that every time you drink some water and every time you have some food, that it is in fact a reminder of the Heavenly Father who's supplying you this food. That is why Jesus taught us to pray. And the wonderful prayer that he gave us, give us this day our daily bread. And in that prayer, it is more than just the physical, isn't it? It is the longing of the heart that Jesus, only Jesus can satisfy, the bread of life. One final thought before we conclude. The word manna, do you remember what it means? The actual translation of the word manna is, what is it? That's it. What is it? That's what manna means. Yet, the manna itself was pointing toward the bread of life. 
So instead of asking what is it, a more appropriate appropriate name would be who is it? And Jesus reveals that the sign was pointing to him that he is the bread of life. Who is it? It is the bread of life. And while the manna was picked up in the morning, it perished every day. It perished every day. Jesus, the bread of life, does not perish, but sustains and gives life to all who partake by faith in him. And when we take part in communion, it's actually a a, a symbol, it is a glorious reminder of the bread of life. Only Jesus can satisfy our hungry hearts. So we never hunger and never thirst again. We'll never be thirsty. His invitation to come to him is still open to all. Open to those who have yet to believe and for daily sustenance is open to those who believe in him. I hope and pray that you feed on Jesus each and every day and that your hunger is satisfied, unsatisfied with the world, but fully satisfied in Jesus. Amen.